You may be seated. Wow, awesome worship, huh? Wasn't that great? I'm so glad to be a part of a church that invests in those whom God brings to our, uh, to our church family. Uh, so not only did we have uh, the youth helping out this morning and leading worship, but uh, all during Vacation Bible School, which actually was a, an awesome week for us. Uh, but we had numerous students investing in there as well. So it's just, I'm just grateful to be a part of New Cove, and it's a pleasure to be here. So we've been in the book of Colossians, page 1183, if you're using the Bible in the seat pockets, you'll want to turn to Galatians chapter 2, and we'll uh, begin with verse 9. Paul is reminding us that there's a tendency for all of us to drift in our commitment to Jesus Christ. It just, if we're not careful, that drifting happens so slowly you know, last week we talked about life is lived in the mundane moments. And mundane is where our address is. And we, we tend to think, well, if, if there's a big, huge event, then I would take this big stand for Jesus. And I would hope that would be the case. But most of us are taking a stand for Jesus is in the small things, is in the, in the mundane things. It's how we treat the people around us. It's how we offer patience and offer grace to those around us. Uh, one of the things that keeps us from drifting is by uh, reading God's Word and making sure that God's Word is a priority for us. And we've talked about this before, that the challenge has always been to make sure that we're spending, as, if, if not as much time, more time in God's Word than on social media. Uh, it's just such an easy way for us to drift if we're not careful. So Paul is addressing this whole drifting issue and the, t- the tendency is to drift, in this case, is toward Jesus plus. And we'll get into that. So in, in verse 10, verse 9. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. And you've been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. So when he says in the fullness, in, in Christ Jesus, all the fullness of deity, what he's talking about is that Jesus is the complete revelation of God. He's complete. You don't have to add anything more. The Gnostics were saying there's Jesus plus. There's this secret, uh, this, this secret knowledge, that, the secret words that you would, ha- that you would have to uh, embrace for you to be able to, re- uh, to experience the presence of God. And Paul is going, no. In fact, if you look at it in, in verse 9 and 10, it's in Christ, it's in Christ, it's in Christ. And he's talking about... Our hope is in Christ, and Christ, no, not Christ, perfect, uh, 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 Jesus plus. Uh, the other thing I wanted to, to draw attention to is you have been given fullness. This is an interesting phrase, you have been given fullness, and it's in what is called the perfect passive participle. And I love that, 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 that fact because what it means is an action that has taken place but has continuing results. So it's not just a one-time event that you've been filled with, with, with the presence of Christ, but we have been filled and continue to be filled in him and by him and for him. And so that's an encouragement for us to realize that, that our presence, our walk with God is not just a one-time event, but it's ongoing and ongoing and ongoing. He also says an interesting thing. He says, he's the head over all power and authority. Now that may sound 
really good for us, but he's specifically talking to the Gnostic teaching. The Gnostic teaching had this false teaching of view of salvation, that there was this secret password or secret name that was given orally by Jesus to a select few. And then that you were able, once you received this, this, this secret passage word, it was amazing. You would uh, be able to move between the angelic spheres of the present world and the spirit world. And again, it's just crazy thinking, but they were not listening to, 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 uh, to the word of God. Instead, they were listening to these Gnostic teachers. Um, let's look at, at, at verse, uh, let me refer to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Not long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors and through the prophets. And now in these final days, he's spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance. And through the son, he created the universe. The son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down at the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in in heaven. This shows that the Son is far greater than the angels, just as the name God gave him is greater than their names. What he's saying here is everything rises and falls on Jesus. He's the hub. He's not one of the spokes. Our tendency is to to allow other things to get in, in, in the driver's seat in the hub position, and we push Christ off to a side where we just in, in, invite him when it's necessary and when we feel like he, we need his help, uh, kind of like Genie Jesus. So you call upon Genie Jesus when you need him and then tell him to go back to his, to, his, his, to his room until you call him and need his help again. This whole Hebrews passage and following up in Colossians chapter 2, what he's referring to is it's in Christ and Christ alone. He's the hub, and he is the one who is not... To be put into a, into a spoke position. Okay, back to, back to Colossians, verse 11. In him you were also circumcised and putting off the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with circumcision done by Christ. What he's talking about is circumcision by the heart. In fact, in Romans 2 it says, No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it's a change of the heart to produce by God's spirit. It's a person with a changed heart that seeks praise from God, not from people. Another, you'll remember this in Proverbs 4.23. It says, above all else, guard your heart. And that's what Jesus is after. He's not after you putting in these, this list of good things. Uh, our tendency many times is to weigh things out and say, I've, have I done more good than bad today? And if I've done more good than bad, then God owes me. And that's transactional kind of relationship. And that's what the Gnostics had with, with that and the Judaizers. The Judaizers were saying it's the 632 different, uh, additional laws given to the Ten Commandments that you need to keep. And God's counting up all the goods and bads that you, that you do. And, and this, is, this is false teaching. So he says to guard your heart because that's where the circumcision happens. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says that God looks at the heart. We look at the exterior, but God looks at the heart. Verse 12. And having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in in the power of God who raised him from the dead. So what he's talking about is he's talking about this baptism of immersion. 
And he's not just talking about a physical immersion. He's talking about this contrast of old, putting to death the old and bringing up the new. A couple weeks ago, we had uh, several kids that were baptized. And I heard this later. One of the, usually when we have kids being baptized from New Cup kids, we'll bring them up and let them watch. And one of the children, when they went home, uh, the dad said, so how was church? And said, oh, dad, 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 you should have been there. My friend got, my, 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 my friend got sacrificed today. <laughs> okay. But the truth is, it's somewhat like that. That when we're buried with Christ in baptism, we sacrifice our life for his life. That's what Jesus did for us. And so we follow him in baptism, and we'll hear more about that uh, next week. But this whole idea of the, we've been buried with him, and we, we talk about that, buried with Christ in baptism. It's the old is going away. It's the old Tim Johnson without Christ and raised to walk in newness of life in, in the presence of Jesus. Verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us of all our sins. We, again, this is, he's talking about this, this uh, he forgave us of all our sins. In fact, I'm, I'm sure you've thought about this. 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross, the potential of all your sins were forgiven. All you have to do is receive it. And so 2,000 years ago, all your sins were forgiven, past, present, and the sins that you commit this afternoon and t- tonight and tomorrow all your sins are forgiven, this, and it's all in Christ. It's not by doing works to try to impress God. If I only sin three times a day, I'd practically be perfect, right? I mean, you think about it. Three times a day, because there's three ways we can sin. There's sin of commission. I can commit a sin. There's the sin of omission. To know the right thing and not to do it is wrong. And then Jesus makes it even more difficult and says, I know your thought life. Oh, my word. So some of you who've been thinking, I wish he would land the plane and let's get out early, that's a major sin. (laughs) And all your sins are forgiven, but that one, that one is unforgivable. Now, all your sins are forgiven. If I sin only three times a day, I mean, that would be practically perfect, perfect Tim Johnson. Well, that's 21 times a week. That's 84 times a month. In a year, that's 1,008 times. And by the way, I plan on living to be 88. And so at 88, that would be 88,704 sins, practically being perfect. And so I stand before God, and he says, why shall I let you into heaven? And I say, because I only sinned against you 88,704 times. I mean, it's ridiculous. And so the, the idea is, we come back to this, Verse 13, he forgave us of all our sins. All your sins are forgiven. You ought to be overwhelmed with that. All your sins are forgiven. Though you were dead, he's made you spiritually alive. You've been raised. He's in you. He's with you. He's for you. In him, you really do have everything you need. You don't need Jesus plus. It's Christ alone. In fact, when we're buried with him and raised to walk in newness of life, his Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus comes to live in us. 
and we are united inseparably with him. It's like cream stirred into coffee. It, it, it's just, there's no difference anymore because you're in, infilled and infused with the presence of Jesus. Verse 14. Having canceled the written code, the Ten Commandments, with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us, he took it away and nailed it to the cross. Again, this is important for us to know, but keeping the historical importance of, of reading God's word historically as well, he's, he's referring to this, this whole idea of the Judaizers who say, no, there's 632 additional laws to be able to keep the Ten Commandments, that you have to weigh them out and, and make sure you're doing more good than bad. And Paul's Paul says, having canceled the written code with all its regulations, and so the Judaizers are going, oh, they're talking about me. That war that was against us and stood opposed us, he took it away and nailed it to the cross. And what I love this phrase says, he took it away. All the consequences of sin, he took it away. Once again, let me come to you with a little Greek lesson. It's a perfect active indicative. He took it away, meaning that it has an act that took place with abiding results. When Jesus died on the cross, all the sins and the the result of sin was paid for, but it continues to be paid for, continues to be paid for, continues to be paid for. All your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. So what does that look like? Let's look at Galatians 2.20. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The important thing here is that in the gospel, we come to understand that death is the inescapable pathway to life. Think about that. Muse on that for a moment. Or another way to put it is, the path to life is through death. We've got to come to a place where we say, I'm putting to death my own desire to live life. Apart from God, I'm putting that to death, and now I'm living for Christ. I'm letting him come in and infuse me. And it says, my old self has been crucified. It's been put to death. It's no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. And that's why I don't freak out over all the current cultural issues that are going on. I don't freak out about our church because God knew before the foundation of earth that New Cub would be here at this time and at this place. And for us to live our lives in such a way that we point people to Jesus. That where you are, God has placed you before the foundation of earth. He knew exactly where you would be. And he's put your neighbors around you and your co-workers and, and your other, uh, other friends around you. The best chance of them coming to know Jesus and being pointed to Jesus is, is by way of you being in their life. And how do we do that? It's Christ who lives in us. Now, that, when, you, when I say that, you've died and it's Christ who's living in you. And it's Christ, and you look, begin to look like Jesus. That doesn't mean in the morning when you get up and look in the mirror, oh, it's Jesus. Oh, it's just me. But the power of Jesus lives in you. And so you begin to live that out. But the path to life is through death. That We have to make a decision to say, no longer am I going to live, but Christ, I want Christ to live in me. So the question that we come, uh, come towards is this. 
you have to answer this question. Am I trying to please God or am I trusting God? The Judaizers were saying you need to please God. The Gnostics were saying you need to, in order to please God, you have to do these following things. Are you trying to please God or are you trusting God? It's an issue of trust. You have two options. You can choose to trust in Christ. Or first of all, you can choose to trust in yourself with your own efforts. That is called sin management. Or you can choose to trust in Christ and enable him to live a life that's pleasing to God. So you've got to come to an answer. You have to answer this for yourself. Who are you going to live for? Who are you trusting? You know, trusting yourself or trusting Christ? There are four little points I'd like to make about this issue of trust. The answer to that question, whether you're going to trust in yourself or trust in Christ, that que- the answer to that question reveals what we believe about our own abilities outside of Christ. And may all of us, may all of us realize that we can do nothing apart from Christ. The answer to that question reveals our true beliefs about God's grace and mercy. That we would live knowing all our sins are forgiven. He loves us. He's, when, when you invited Jesus to be a part of your life, to come into your life, when you, all your sins are forgiven. And so you don't have to earn his acceptance and his love anymore. The answer to that question reveals our true beliefs about God's grace and mercy. And the answer to that question reveals a lot about the natural tendency all humans have towards self-righteousness. Last of all, that answer to the question reveals what we believe about God and how we think he sees us in Christ. So Paul, in verse 15, says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, again, this crazy thinking, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. That When he talks about making a, a, a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross... This is just simply a refer, referral to a parade in Rome when the king, when he'd win a battle, the king would come in and all the people who were, uh, who were defeated would come behind him in chains. And Paul is just simply drawing an analogy going, no, Jesus has won it all. He won it on the cross. So for practically two chapters of this four-chapter epistle, the apostle Paul has stacked one layer of truth upon another upon another concerning the, the, the concerning Jesus and concerning what he's done. And Paul now, he, I'll close with this, Paul warns them. Now you would think he warned them saying, don't sin this way and don't sin that way, which against, we're, we're against sin. But that's not what Paul was highly concerned about. That's not what he warns them against. What he warns them against is Jesus plus against legalism. Look at verse 16. Therefore, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. Or with regard to religious festival, a new moon, a celebration or Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the race. Such a person goes into great detail about what he's seen and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He's not in connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported by the, and held together by its ligaments and sinews, 
grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this, why do you still, as though you act like you belong to it, do you still submit to its rules? Speaking to the Judaizers now. Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commandments and teaching. Such imposed self-worship and the false humility over their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. What he's saying is that we're to live for Christ and live for Christ alone and let him be the one who directs us. So how do we respond to this? There are two ways to respond, two groups to respond. One of those of us who are followers of Jesus and then those of us, uh, those in the group who are not yet followers of Jesus. So here's a prayer of a response. And the first sentence would be ap- applicable to those of us who are followers of Jesus. That we would say, Jesus, right now, I choose to trust you with all my life, period. Jesus, right now, I choose to trust you with all my life. Because, again, our tendency is to move towards Jesus plus, putting our hope and trust in other things. For those who are not yet followers of Jesus, man, what an opportunity to continue to pray and say, my life is full of sin and I can't do enough good on my own. I admit that because of my sin, I need hope. Thank you for giving your life for me paying the full balance of my shortcomings by dying on the cross and rising from the grave. I choose to follow you. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that our hope would be in you and you alone. Father, I pray that this week, uh, as we uh, go our separate ways, I pray that you would help us to keep in mind that you're living your life through us. And anytime we begin to move you to a spoke in our life instead of the hub, I pray that you would uh, tap on our hearts, uh, on the mind of our heart, and remind us that we've, we've displaced you. We've jettisoned you from, the, from control. Father, I pray that we would live our lives in such a way that people would see Jesus in us and want to know you. And Father, I pray for those in this group who are not yet followers of Jesus, God, may they admit that they are tired of trying to make life work apart from you and that they would open their life to you and say, Jesus, I need you and I invite you to, and I accept your forgiveness of sin. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, this, this week, uh, we had an amazing vacation Bible school, and uh, we didn't charge for it, which may, uh, in the past, we've uh, charged for it. But the reason we didn't charge for it was for several reasons. One, because of your faithful giving. And it does matter. And, I, and I'm just I'm grateful for your giving and your consistent giving. It makes a difference. It gives us opportunities to be able to invest in, in others around us. And also, we just felt like it would be an easier way for people to come who we invite as guests. But I, do, I did want to thank you for your giving. It does matter.